Live from the floor of the Western Bull and Goat Auction. You thought that was a stamp auction, maybe? This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 280. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. This is Mark. This is Albert. This is Becca. And we received a very distressing email. It reads, We hired an anonymous, unnamed auction company to sell my father's stamp collection. His collection was huge. It filled up an S10 pickup truck. My father collected since he was a little boy, died last year at 77 years old. He worked very hard as a machine repairman. He worked all the overtime that was ever offered. Every spare dollar he had was poured into his collection. He really enjoyed collecting stamps and published her... Hebert's book for many years. We hired the stamp auction company to sell his collection. Remember how big a collection it was? The stamp auction listed a few stamps, then put a lot of albums in a group. The whole collection was divided into 20 lots. I called the stamp auction, and they more or less said, too bad, so sad. They know more about stamps than I do, and then had another call on another line and hung up on me. I called them back later, and if I wanted to buy my dad's stamps back, it would cost me 16% as a buyer and 15% as a seller. If I shipped the stamps back, it was super high postage, or if I picked them up, I had to pay sales tax. He said he still knew more about stamps than I did, and I would be thanking him after the auction. I am not thanking him. The collection only bought $24,000. I had a friend of my father who said if I sent him the one quote money book he could get more get me fifty thousand dollars for it he had already sold eleven thousand out of other books i should have listened to him and sent the money book to him the stamp auction made 36 stamp albums one lot not much effort to put 36 albums in a lot another lot had five albums very lazy again anonymous stamp auction they promised me they promised me the world before they had my father's stamps but were but were very hateful Sorry, I think this should be it's word, what not where. Yeah, it's what they wrote. They promised the world before they had my father's stamps but were very hateful and were very unconcerned about anything once they had them. They use your name that being the National Stamp Dealers Association, of which Cash is the president, on their internet page. They are using your name as a reference. I have dealt with them and would not want my name connected with them anyway. We had another collector call them that knew the collection very well and suggest listing the collection better than 36 albums in one lot. The lady took his suggestions and twisted it into, he called me a crook. She then pouted a whole 24 hours. He did not call her a crook, just made suggestions. She also hung up the phone on him also. Pretty much once they have your stamps, it's too bad, so sad, and hang up on you. If you want your stamps back, pay 31% in fees and sales tax or very high shipping and 31% in fees. Your name, 
again, that is the National Stamp Dealers Association, is connected to their website. You might consider asking them to remove it. I would. James R. First of all, James, we'd like to say we are very sorry for your loss. Uh, we do have today with us David Kugel from Kelleher Stamp Auctions. Kelleher Stamp Auctions is not the subject of this letter. It is one of the top auction houses in the world, though, and we are pleased to have you here. So, David, what do you think about James' experience? Well, um, first, I'd like to thank uh, everyone there and the tremendous effort that you put forth to bring these podcasts and other educational formats to stamp collectors and professionals around the world. I, I think uh, a lot of people enjoy this. We're so proud to have been asked to be on the podcast and, and you know, really uh, put forth the very best efforts of myself and, and Larry Gibson, the co-owner, to make sure that each and every client has that special boutique experience and something like this doesn't happen to them. Um, I think to start off with, um, the, I, I, I know that every firm in the top tier of philately in the auction business strives very hard to communicate and manage expectations. And I think what I've noticed over the decades I have been in the industry is that sometimes you get opinions of others that are not necessarily basis for value or market value, catalog value and market value, as you know, can be very different. Um, so, for example, if I were to insert our firm into this transaction, for example, um, number one, if someone was that displeased, we, we would really just prefer not to sell it and return it, and we wouldn't be asking for 31% or anything. We might ask for the return postage. Um, we've had one or two cases where clients' expectations were unrealistic. So to prevent this is, I think, the question, how, you know, what do I think of it and how do you prevent it? I think you prevent it by having better information and knowledge about what the collection is. So size does not denote value. Age does not denote value in philately. Uh, many times we have collections that are – we get – many calls a day uh, because of our magazine, the Stamp Collectors Quarterly, which is, is, is a pretty mainstream item now. And it was surprising uh, what we call the lottery mentality of someone who inherits a stamp collection. I am not suggesting that James had that, but it, it, it's often I found something that's old, it must be valuable. And in honesty, that's not the case. In 1893, the two-cent Colombian, <clears throat> I think they printed like a billion of them, and they were extensively used, and it's one of the most common 19th-century stamps. So, you know, I think you have to look at, you know, what was in the collection. And what we recommend for clients is, is don't just take one person's word for it. Get a second opinion. You're going to have surgery. You go and you get a second opinion. You're going to sell your dad's lifelong collection why on earth wouldn't you just get a second opinion? Why would you leave it to chance or, or you know, work with a firm that may or may not be able to satisfy what you, your needs are? The first thing we do is we communicate with our client as to what we expect the market is going to bring in that material. And, you know, we're not always 100% accurate, but i got to tell you, we strive very hard 
to communicate. And when we find ourselves in a situation where the client is expecting, has those expectations of a multiple of the market value, we've learned that we'd rather not engage. We'd rather return that material, provide our very best guidance and education. And it's surprising how sometimes that happens and they call you back and either thank you or you get the collection with different expectations. You know, hobby is such a, this hobby is such a wonderful hobby. Why in the world would you want to leave it on this basis? This, this gentleman's father was obviously a passionate collector who, you know, bought every single stamp he could acquire, probably hoarded it, guarded it, you know, and, and, and had it listed catalog value or, or whatever. But um, it really, you don't want to just entrust that without some knowledge and with some realistic expectation. I find it's the expectation part that really sets things off in this sort of relationship. So we strive very hard to communicate at the initial stage. Now, with COVID, we are getting a lot more material shipped in or dropped off or picked up where we would usually do that site inspection and say, hey, look, the collection's worth 10000 We're going to insure it for 20000 the replacement value. We may say that four times to people. It's surprising, you know, in some cases, people say, well, you insured it for 20000 It only brought 10000 even though we had that conversation. You know, it's only worth ten. We're insuring it for twenty for loss for replacement value. So you know, it's also what you say and what people recall and what you can give them in writing. So we try to really make an effort to put forth uh, the valuation. And and you know, we do. You know, we do have out of the many hundreds of consigners, we have one or two a year. Not quite like this, but where they're, you know, they thought the collection was more valuable, and even though we said, hey, it's it's going to bring this. They they kind of think it's going to bring more. I, I think, you know, that's sort of how we handle it. I'm not, I don't know the firm involved, but one of the things that you need to know if you're going to auction your collection is to deal with a firm that is knowledgeable in the material you're selling and has a really good marketplace for what you're selling. So if they're taking a 36-volume collection and offering it up as one unit, is that going to bring the best price? Our, our, what we do is we look at every property and say, what, what gets us the best price? And it's not always the easiest avenue. I can tell you, we, you know, we work late into nights and have a tremendous staff of, of devoted philatelists who love this. And it's not always the easy road to say, well, you know, you got to, hey, look, you know, the French Russes in China, we really should take out of that 36 volume collection. Because if we do that, we'll get a thousand dollars more. And we're, you know, we're constantly doing that. We're constantly challenging ourselves as to what is the best venue from our decades of experience. And usually, it, it, it pays off in results, and also in the fact that our client base is so strong and deep. We have, you know, forty some thousand clients on our mailing list, over twenty thousand that are active on some basis. Uh, you know, we are marketing and reach internationally is really good. So, you know, if you go to a little regional company um, that may be selling your stamp collection and they've only got 10 clients and those clients aren't very sophisticated, let's say they're just eBay traders, then your collection is only going to be valued at that marketplace. When you come to a firm like ours, it's valued for the true value because we're exposing it in the marketplace where it's going to get the very best. We exploit that in the marketplace. 
And I think that's one of the reasons our company has grown and become so successful is because we've provided that alternative to everyone. We're not just dealing with the 1% of people that have six-figure stamps or seven-figure collections. We're dealing with people that have collections that are 1,000 or 5,000 or 15,000. And our sweet spots, I think, somewhere around 35,000, our average consigner. And, you know, we work hard for every one of them. I'm not sure that every firm has that dedication or has the professionalism behind them to deliver on that. Yeah, one thing that I would add is, and again, James, we're sorry for your loss, but your father should have given some instruction also. Because if so estate, yeah. estate planning, you know, you, yeah, you need to have, if you have a substantially valuable asset and it's not a stock or gold or something you can look in the newspaper or online and value immediately, you need to, it's your responsibility, in my opinion, to value that material and let the people that are receiving it know what to expect on a realistic basis. We, we had a collection we picked up two weeks ago. And, you know, I asked, I asked, was it insured? Did your father, my father said it was worth 50000 And I looked, the collection is going to bring a multiple that. And I said to him, I said, look, Mr. Mr. M, you know, I, I would write you a check right now, but don't take it because you're going to get a lot more for it. And he was delighted. For every one of those, we have 50 where, you know, it catalogs 300000 It must be worth 300000 Not the case. So, what you really should do if you have a nice stamp collection is you should have it appraised. And, and in the marketplace, a market value appraisal that would allow you to know what it's worth today and would allow the heirs to know, hey, this is, this is what it's worth, or at least what you paid for it. Those are all, some measure of reality so that you take it out of that uh, atmosphere of, size, age, et cetera, that's very general, and say, hey, look, Dad spent 117000 on these stamps. He bought them retail. He realizes when he sells them, he's not going to get 117000 He may only get 57000 but that's the reality. of. So if you're buying things in a marketplace and things get marked up two to three times what you're paying for them, you buy a set of stamps for $10, they're worth $3 wholesale, you're not going to be able to sell them for $5. They're going to bring the $3 or less. So all these things have to be factored in. And estate planning is critical. If you've got a valuable asset into five or six or seven figures, why not get an appraisal and leave your your family or whomever you're entrusting this collection to some instruction and some valuation so you know how to best deal with it and for goodness sakes, eliminate what just happened to James. I, I got to say that there's got to be no worse thing that can happen to a, a, a family member of a stamp collector than to have a family member enjoy philately his entire life and then have this be the final chapter for it. It's really it, very, it, along, very distressing. Along me. those lines with, with getting an appraisal, I would make sure when you get the appraisal that you have somebody who, who knows the difference between market value and and auction value and catalog value and can explain it to you or to the family so that their expectations are not out of proportion with, I mean, if, if you have somebody come in and, and appraise a collection and they say $50,000, well, now the, 
the family is going to think, well, I'm going to get $50,000, which may not be the case. Right. That may be the value of it, but at auction, they may only get thirty-five, or something like that. Or if they sell it to a dealer, right. the dealer can't pay fifty. That's a market value. He's only going to pay a fraction of that. And so that's what they need to understand. Exactly. They need to have a realistic appraisal where the appraiser comes in and doesn't just give them a number. He gives them an explanation of what that number represents and how it may differ from what they would actually get. Yeah, in this case, Correct. a person said it was worth fifty thousand dollars. Well, that one book was worth fifty thousand. And yeah, and they got eleven thousand. Well, you know, we sort of don't have all the information here. We don't, you know, because I didn't contact the auction company to get their side. You know, I, this is just something that I understand. You know, you had a complaint. We brought the premier person on to the podcast so that we can discuss it. So I don't have to talk to them. But realistically, you know, James's father may look back at it and he goes, holy crap, you got $11,000 for that stuff. I had no clue it was worth that much. You know, so you don't really know. And I'm sorry, James, but, you know, what your stamp collection was worth Although it does seem kind of odd to put 31 volumes in a single lot, unless it's really sort of junk. Yeah. The other thing is um, if James's father had specified a philatelic executor, somebody who could help and advise the family on disposing of that, uh, that would also have been a, a good option. Because then that person is somebody, uh, either a fellow collector or a dealer that they're close with, um, can come in and say, okay, this is better going to auction. This is better just being sold off or uh, as a, you know, and then they can help look at that and say, well, yeah, okay, the auction company is, is doing their due diligence or maybe they drop the ball on this one and they need a little bit of... Uh, guidance but if you have if you have a professional philatelist either somebody who does it uh really professionally as a job or somebody who has been around philately for many 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 years either one of those is a good option to have in your back pocket uh as an estate planning tool well albert you've done this for people haven't you yeah i've uh, i've handled any number of collections where i've actually come in and, and handle the, uh, the actual appraisal of the item and then the disposal of the items. Normally, um, normally we'll pick a, I'll, depending on, normally a collection is a whole bunch of different pieces, so I'll pick where the different pieces would go. So for instance, um, um, when uh, the Peach Collection was sold, that was in the 90s, um, we actually gave, we actually uh, had five different auction houses make a bid and uh, make a proposal of what they would do for it. And so the collection was sold at Shreves. So that's a good example of, of how, uh, um, how a professional can help you out. He knows, oh, yeah. where it sh he knows where it should be sold and how it should be sold. And he'll also know what things need to be expertized before the auction and get that done. That's one of that's one of our most important things that we do with PSC is that we expertise things so that they will sell seamlessly at the auction. So if you have a collection that you think might be worth five figures, 
um, which is, seems to be the common amount. And uh, and you're a lay person. It was your um, husband that collected or father that collected. Where would you go to find a person to do this appraisal or advocacy for you? And how much would you pay them? So if you came to uh, the Kelleher firm, we, we include that. We do an initial on-site or in-house evaluation, uh, you know, which is not in writing, which is verbal, which we do not charge for. However, if you want something in writing that you're going to put down and keep in, you know, in the years, we, we do have some fee structures for that. I think you could contact the American Philatelic Society. Don't, don't they have a, uh, a, pre, a state uh, board of estate people that they refer people to? that do exactly that because we've dealt with sometimes those people are referred to us and there's an intermediary looking out for them to look through things. What Albert mentioned is a very good option if you have a top tier collection, but if you've got a five figure collection, you're not going to be able to put yourself through a five, three or five auction house proposal because it's not going to be feasible for that. But when you get into the more valuable collections, that's a great idea. Definitely get a second or third opinion, but, you know, realize what you're dealing with and apply the resources that make the most sense. Now, Dave, you you want to negotiate in your best interest on what you have as opposed to what someone else may have. And I think that's important too. For example, I don't know that this 36 volume collection would have had anything to be expertized, but it would have maybe benefited from someone knowing the market to say, hey, you sell the, maybe the Asia should have been sold separately and sold in Asia, and the Europe could have been kept as a unit, and the French colonies could have been separated. You know, as part of this is market experience and available resources. If you've got a few people in a company and they're trying to push out material, they're not going to spend a lot of time, and they're probably not going to tell you that's what they're going to do to get your collection. So, you know, it's that on that part, it's probably caveat mTOR. So you got to go by reputable companies that, you know, have uh, solid references. You, you know, one of the things you could do is ask the company for references of other collections they've sold that are similar to the ones you have, and and, and follow up with them. Just like if you're going on in a job interview and you give a personal reference or a family reference or a, a professional reference, you follow up on it and hear what the people have to say and. You know, uh, I think those are another two, two or three tools, the APS uh, references and looking at prices realized. You know, you can see how a firm presents their material, how they sell it, what they sell it for. Invest a little bit of your own time so that you don't have this experience where, wow, I just got cheated because we, you you, we won't really know, in other words, what really happened because the material has been sold and settled probably and it's over with. But, you know, to prevent that, there are some things you could do, starting with the person who formed the collection. If they're no longer available or able to, you can take it upon yourself to get that information and, you know, just be a little bit more knowledgeable in your marketplace. Now, David, last week you had this the part one of the William S. Lang stock and private holding sale, which is an estate. Would you go, would you just tell us shortly why you your firm got the estate? Um, well, I, I, my belief of why we got the estate was because we were able to best resource uh, our what they were what they would like, which was working with in the estate a detailed inventory, 
that showed the 70,000 in individual items as well as the several hundred cartons of other items, that we would be able to take them through start to finish, appraising it, evaluating it, selling it, and helping them close the estate. And I know that and being able to do it on a professional basis with material we were not only familiar with, but have a good marketplace for. And, and that first sale was a very good uh, culmination of that, where we sold 97% of the lot at 95% of the estimate. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, how is the market? It sounds like it's going pretty strong. It's COVID on fire. <laughs> well, good, I never cause... thought it would take... I, I didn't know what it would be or if it would ever come to fruition. I never thought it would be a pandemic that made stamps relative again and valuable. Yeah, a lot of people are... Here at PSE, our business has picked up eBay has been on fire obviously your uh, auction house has been doing very well uh, it is interesting though when people put stuff up because one of the things that i always talk about because it's covid is right now it seems like it would be very difficult to sell a 36 volume lot because correct me if i'm wrong i mean i may be totally wrong but you don't have live auctions where people show up on the floor, do you? Well, we do. Um, uh, Albert was at our auction last week, um, uh, although, and we had limited. We did have limited viewing. We have we have a large facility. We're blessed with a large facility of twelve and a half thousand square feet, where we can have up to three viewers comfortably. Yeah, but very three viewers and safe. But but for example. We have, we have changed our resources completely, adding many more resources and imaging. So if you go to our website and look at many of our collection or group lots, now we're not going to image 36 volumes if it's not yeah. warranted to bring a better return. But if there, were, if there were countries or sections of countries that would benefit to sell this at a better price, uh, we would definitely list those items in the imaging and it would be uh, very uh, worthwhile and we have found it to be very worthwhile that it really has driven the price. We have many clients in Europe and in Asia and around the world who have thanked us for the amount of time that we spend with them uh, also doing fa like FaceTime viewing where we'll schedule a two or three hour segment and we'll look through all those albums okay. with them with one of our professionals so they can see what's there and get a look at it. We're also working on a new technology. I don't want to give you too much detail on it because we're in the trademark and patent uh, of it. But where we're going to be offering uh, better imaging technology specific to the stamp industry that will allow you to look at bulky collections like this very efficiently, very quickly. Oh, that sounds good. But like at your last auction, how many people did you have on the floor? Because I can just picture like a Biden rally with these taped off circles everywhere and you have to stand in the circle to bid or something now our, our only visitor for, on my public uh bidding was albert who came on the last day um for the sale uh but we had over a thousand people i think 1200 some people registered live bidding on oh. stamp auction network of, of course they weren't bidding on every lot they were bidding on the lot they wanted i think we had 17 or 18 phone bidders we probably had another 30 people represented by the agents and 
you know, we had our own. We, we have an analysis we look at, and, I, you know, we think we had, I think there was about 300 bid sheets prior to the auction people submitted to us. And uh, the overwhelming response is, is on the lot bidding platform. I think 60, almost 70% of the lots sold to people bidding live totally on under- the uh, Internet. Totally understand, but I'm, I, I guess what I'm saying is that bidding or buying individual stamps or small groups of stamps at auction right now is simple. You know, you can do it online, everything else. It strikes me, though, this person had 31 volumes in a lot. Now, ignoring the fact of whether that was smart or not. And, you know, like, uh, you know, if it was junk, then, yeah, put it all together. But he thinks it wasn't. How do you sell... And, and let's say you busted it up into each 31 separate lots and put each one up. I doubt sincerely that it would warrant it. But how do you sell albums during the pandemic here? I mean, you can't. Well, you know, that, that, that's a great question. And I, as a firm that has the only dedicated collection stock and accumulation sale quarterly, um, we're just finalizing our December 5th uh, public auction, which will have 400 or so uh, lots that are $1,000 to $50,000 each. I can tell you we have a collections that are being sold by the pallet, <laughs> as well as 35 volumes as a collection. And, you know, we take great efforts to accurately describe an image where we can but the most important part is we estimate the lots very accurately. So people know if we put three to 4,000, the lot's not worth 1,000. It may be worth 5,000, but it's not, it gives them bidding guidance and confidence. So they actually know that they can bid the estimate or above the estimate and get a, good, and get a reasonable value. And I think what happens is, Kaz, a lot of people, supply chains have been cut because of the pandemic, so they're a little rabid. The, all the little eBay guys selling stuff, even the big eBay guys, the online traders, hip stamp platform, eBay platform, they're all coming to auction, and they're, they're using their best judgment based upon their experience with us. Um, and I think you get caught up in this mentality of it's just one bid more. If bidder X is willing to bid 3000 well, I can bid one bid more. I don't, even if I overpaid, I'd only be overpaying by one bid. And you get this frenzy going, and it's 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 inc- it's incredible sometimes what the lots bring. And you know, I, I think in some cases you get more than the stamps or covers are worth because of it. So, I mean, that's what we've experienced. And I, I mean, we sell more of these collection lots than anyone. And I, I don't think December is going to be any different. Um, I, you know, we have uh, 400 lots with like 30,000 images. Okay, <laughs> that's a lot of work. And a lot of imaging, plus our descriptions, plus the fact that Larry and myself kind of validate those values and estimates on every lot, so that we feel comfortable presenting that to our to our clients. Well, just to bring something up that uh, David mentioned, yes, the American Philatelic Society does have a page devoted to estate advice. And it is both for, they have a couple of sections for one, protecting the future of your collection. And then they also have another section for people who have inherited collections. 
But uh, one thing that they mention here, just to read off their website real fast, is, uh, is honest evaluation. And it says, a common mistake is that the collector has not shared an honest evaluation with anyone else. We hear far too many horror stories about collections for which the value was hidden from other family members who, not realizing the collection represented significant value, simply pitched it. And it is also not uncommon to hear about the crestfallen spouse who believes the collection of modern U.S. first-day covers is worth $50,000. If you don't want the value of your collection to be known while you are alive, at least provide a reasonable estimate in the documents you leave behind to be opened after your death. In making an inventory list catalog value, replacement value, and estimated price that might be realized at a forced sale. That's excellent advice. If you hire somebody, exactly. If you if you're going to hire somebody, let's say you have a collection that is worth in the six figure range, over a hundred thousand dollars, and you want to hire somebody to advocate for you to either either sell it privately or 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 consign it to auction houses, what do, what should you expect to pay that professional to give for you know for that advice? Or maybe I Albert can like answer you would that. pay any financial any financial advisor. You're going to pay a fairly strong hourly rate. I would run away from people because I've seen this where they say we're going to charge you three percent of the value, and then they appraise it high to get a lot of money. You want to hire somebody on an hourly basis to provide that to you. But I got to tell you, when clients hire the Kelleher firm, we advocate and work as hard as we can on your behalf to get the very best price because that's how we earn our money. The more we get, we're partners, we get more, you get more, everybody gets more. So that doesn't answer the question on how do I get the advice, but we're, we're very happy to share that service with clients. And, and, you know, we've never really been a fee-based company on that sort of thing. So if somebody brought us their collection or, you know, paid our travel expenses, you know, we're not really, that's not our profit center. We make money by selling things. So, if it's, you know, we're, we're spreading goodwill and, and, you know, you reap what you sow is kind of our mentality. And so we're happy to provide a really good client or any client with an honest evaluation, as the APS suggests, because in the future that will come back to us on the proper basis. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of, uh, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a nice thing to do for philately. Well, David... I invited you onto the podcast because I've known you for way over a decade. I've consigned with you. I buy, buy stuff from you. I sell stuff through you. Give people your contact information. I will be a reference for you here. Um, I think that you have brought up some really, really good points uh, give some people some information so that they can contact you and maybe uh, use your firm for this to avoid this exact sort of thing that uh, poor James went through. Exactly. You know, um, so contact information. Kelleher Auctions, plural with an S, dot com, has everything you need to know. Uh, we have a, I don't know our toll-free number. I'm sorry about that. But you can reach us at 203 203- Eight three zero twenty five hundred. 2500 We have an auto attendant just hit zero, and Susie, our receptionist, will guide you to the proper individual, whether it be Max, myself, Larry, or another team member. Um, and our email address, info at kelleherauctions.com. Uh, all those uh, very easy methods of contacting us. 
We are very present on the Google and other search engines. If you just type in Kelleher, you'll get us. I think there's a dating company that has the same name <laughs> and uh, a wine company out in California. But I've had people say, oh, you're part of that. Cause some lovely blonde shows up and <laughs> Kelleher, you know, uh, hookups or something. It's kind of interesting. You've seen him on the plane with his travel day. They also advertise in the magazines, but we're pretty prevalent, and, and we make it our business to make sure that clients know what they have. And I'd, I'd quite frankly rather return James's collection to him than to force a sale of it or leverage him in some way of charging a percentage like that in, in a bad scenario. I would just as soon say, hey, look, you know, James, and, and we've had that happen. We, you know, we're, we lose money on our, interiorly because we've spent resource time to give something back, but you know what? It, it's just at the end of the day, you kind of look in the mirror and like what you see. Yep. Well, thank you very much, David, for being on with us again. David Kel, uh, David Kugel with Kelleher Auctions. Uh, anybody have anything else? Stan, you you joined us late. Hi, Stan. Thank you, David. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey everybody. Yeah, I made it. Thanks, um, everybody. Really appreciate it. Have a very good day. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our internet and phone connections. You can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our address is P.O. Box 539-309, Henderson, Nevada, 89053. Oh, and just real quick, David Kugel, I don't know if he hung up yet. Oh, David. I'm here. You, you're a member. Thank you very much for being a member of the podcast. Oh, uh, it's my pleasure, and thank you, everybody, for inviting us at Keller, and also thank you for what you do to give back to what I believe is one of the best hobbies in the world. You've been listening to Stamp Show here today, episode number 280. This was Tom. This was Cash. This was Scott. This was Mark. This was Albert. This was Becca. This was Stan. There you are. <laughs> you have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Collecting happens when we dream together.